want to join in with the others in welcoming everyone here this morning. This morning we're going to continue our study, our, our series that's kind of evolved over the last few months for me and looking at verses that are typically misused um, out of context. And this morning we want to look at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. As we look at this verse, a lot of times we think of this verse as Jesus knocking at the door of the heart of an unbeliever. In fact, we've probably seen this picture in other churches that we've been to or in people's homes. You've probably seen this picture somewhere, and it kind of brings to mind that idea of Jesus standing at the door of an unbeliever's heart, knocking, waiting to be let in. This verse can be used as an invitation to provoke an emotion in in the unbeliever or the person who, who is right on the edge and, and wanting to become a Christian. In fact, I've heard many times people read this verse and provide sound effects and knock on the podium. But the question is, is that really what this message is all about? Is this really John's point in pinning this message? And the answer is no. Now, I do want to just quick disclaimer here. Most of the verses that we've looked at in the past few months, we look at verses that are very dangerous when used out of context. When we look at this verse out of context, it's not that dangerous because we can find this idea throughout the Word of God. We can find that Jesus Christ wants you to be a part of the church, a part of the kingdom. But I think when we take this verse and we take it out of context, we miss out on some very important lessons that we as Christians need to hear and need to understand. And that's what we want to look at this morning. So let's look at this morning just like we normally do, looking at the context that surrounds this verse and see what's actually going on when he makes this statement. So let's let's back up and just think back. You know, I had intended on doing this in August or September, but I didn't want to interfere in what David or anybody else was going to talk about because I knew that we were going to be talking about Revelation throughout the the month of October, and we did. And I think looking back on that, we have a good idea and a good understanding of what we can get out of this verse by understanding the context. And when we think about the overall book of Revelation, we think of the idea that the book of Revelation was written to churches in Asia, who were about to go through a severe persecution, who were, at, who were about to be pushed to the limit and could possibly be in a lot of trouble. And if you look at back, if you go back to David's, David's lesson in October, he talked a lot about Revelation 2 and 3. He talked about those seven churches, the seven churches that were specifically written to and addressed here. Does that mean because they were specifically written to those churches that we can't get anything out of them? Absolutely not. We can gain a lot from them. But specifically, this is written to the churches, the seven churches in Asia. And when we look at Revelation 3, we understand that that's specifically written about 14 through 22 is written directly to the church at Laodicea. Now, when we think about the church at Laodicea, we understand that that's written to him because we can look at verse 14. So when we look at Revelation 3 and verse 14, he says, And to the angel and the church in Laodicea write. So here's the first thing that I want us to understand. 
When we look at this verse, and we've already mentioned this, the idea that comes to our mind is this is written to unbelievers. That's not who this was written to at all. This was written to believers who were part of a church in Asia. It was written to people who had already obeyed the gospel. And that should change our outlook on it a little bit. Does that mean that Jesus doesn't want the unbeliever or or people who haven't accepted the gospel to obey the gospel? Absolutely not. But this message was written to those in Laodicea. And that changes things a little bit. We also see in this verse, it says, the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. When you look at that, that's just saying that Jesus Christ is the one providing this message. This is a message from Christ to the church at Laodicea. Now, if we go to verse 15, he begins that verse by saying, I know your works. So what he's saying here is, that Jesus understands what's happening in this church. He understands that they have problems, they have issues. There's things going on in this church that need to be corrected, especially in light of that coming persecution that's about to take place. This persecution was gonna push them to their limits, it was gonna push them to their edge, and if their heart was not in the right place, if they were not living the way that they should, they would not make it. It was a dangerous time for them. And that's exactly what was happening. He says, you are neither cold nor hot, would that you were either cold or hot. Now, I've looked at this my whole life. I've heard this verse, and I've I've thought about it, and people have preached about it, and and they have this idea that hot means that you're on fire for God, and cold could even mean an unbeliever. The more I look at it, the more I talk to my brothers who've looked at it, the more I've studied it, the more I kind of think and agree with some of those other guys that, He's not really talking about unbelievers when he's talking about the cold. He's talking about the usefulness of this church to Christ. How useful are they to Christ? And I think of coffee, and I'm going to tell you, I hate coffee. Coffee's horrible. Now, what I do know about coffee is that people who like coffee find it very useful if the coffee is hot. Hot coffee. Jana is one of those. If her coffee reaches just under the below the boiling point, she's going to throw it back in the microwave and warm it back up. Now, on the other hand, a lot of people find coffee very useful when it's cold. And I will say, I like coffee if it doesn't taste like coffee. And there's this place called Dutch Brothers, and you're going to spend about 27 bucks. But they have this thing called the caramelizer, and you blend it, and man, it's so good. But it doesn't taste like coffee. But what I found is a lot of people like coffee. They like cold coffee. So hot or cold, they find usefulness in that. But I've never in my life, and well, I learned of one person this morning that likes lukewarm coffee. Most people hate it. And I'm going to be honest with you. The reason that I don't like coffee is because the first time I ever remember drinking coffee, I took a big gulp of it and it was room temperature. You know what I did? I spit it out of my mouth. I did. I didn't like it. It was horrible. It wasn't useful to me. And you go to verse 16 and he says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Their service to God or to Christ made him sick. He couldn't stomach it. It was not good. It was not useful to him. These Christians were essentially riding the fence. They claimed to be Christians But really, they were self-satisfied, they were indifferent 
and they were heartless towards Christ. They lost their purpose. They lost their meaning. They lost their why. And they were in a bad position. And when you think about a lukewarm Christian, a lukewarm Christian can be, be very dangerous. A lukewarm Christian can be very stubborn because they think everything's okay. They think I'm doing good enough. They think, look at those other people out there who are living horrible lives and I'm, I'm doing okay. And they become indifferent to Christ and his word and what they need to do to fix those problems. And that's damage that's done to the church. Damage is done to the church by lukewarm Christians. I would, I would venture to say damage by lukewarm Christians is far more significant than any atheist out there because of the reach. Not only do the people outside the church look in and say, why would I go to that place when I'm more moral than they are? But you also have people in the church who are affected by your example as a lukewarm Christian. And that can bring a church down and that can cause divisions and that can cause churches to shut the door. That can cause people to walk away. Mahatma Gandhi once said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. When we make the decision to become a Christian, we make a commitment to live for Jesus Christ. We make a commitment to follow his word. But the reason that the church has a black eye sometimes is because we claim to have made that commitment, yet we don't make that commitment, and we don't change who we are. We don't change our lives. Or maybe we do it for a while, and then we go back to what we always did. And that should humble us and help us understand that we need to evaluate ourselves as Christians and make sure that we are okay that we are living according to his word, that we're not becoming lukewarm and causing that kind of damage. He goes on in verse 17, and he gives us a little more information about what exactly is going on. In verse 17, he says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, pitiable poor, blind, and naked. He says, you think you're doing good. You think you're doing okay, and you don't even see how much of a dangerous situation you're in. They lost their purpose. They started living for themselves. They started worshiping how they wanted to. It was all about themselves, and they were indifferent to what the Word of God said. They forgot about Jesus Christ. Now, I found this little, I told you I like memes. This is this little guy, he's a little dog, and he's drinking a cup of coffee. As happy as can be, he's saying, I'm fine. But around him, the house is burning down. This was the situation they were in. They thought everything was okay. They thought they were doing great. But really, they were on the verge of spiritual death. They were in a dangerous position. But he gives them some instruction. In verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from you gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the, sh the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. So he gives them this instruction, and again, we talked a lot about the book of Revelation 
not being a literal book. He's not, say, he, or he's not saying go out and buy gold. You know, a lot of people today will tell you, go out and buy gold. It's the, it's, it's the best bet for your investments. That's not what he's saying here. He's talking about what is truly valuable. Gold, in their eyes, was valuable. But in, in reality, the true value is true Christianity. In reality, these individuals in this church were playing church and they were not living it. And they lost their desire for God and they needed to find their way back. They needed to understand the value in submitting to God once again, submitting to Jesus Christ. He talks about clothing, white garments, and we know clothing is important. It's very important, right? It provides protection. It also provides decency for us. That's our righteous acts as Christians, how we live, the decisions we make. Those righteous acts provide protection to us from temptation. It provides protection from sin. It provides decency for us so we're not out there living a hypocritical life and pushing people away from the church. He talks about eye salve so that they may see. And I want you to think back to the verse we just looked at, verse 17. What did, what did he say? He said that they think they're okay, but they can't even see the true condition they're in. How do we know the condition they're in? Well, we compare our lives to the Word of God. Get back into the Word of God. Allow it to change you. Bring you back to where you need to be. Bring you back to Christ. In verse 19, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. This was, these were his people, his church. He loved them. And that's why he's sending them this message. And he tells them, be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. They needed to change their ways. They need to get out of that indifferent attitude and submit to Christ. They needed to repent. They needed to change. And that leads us to the verse that we're talking about this morning, Revelation 3 and 20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. Think back to what he just said. Think to, back to what he's just talked about in context. In verse 19, he called them to action. He said, What you need to do is repent and change your life. And you needed to find that zeal in your life again. And now, in the very next verse, he's saying, I've given you the opportunity to make that choice. I stand at this door, I'm knocking, and I want you to open it for me. They had that opportunity to get back to where they needed to be. And that's just a quick overlook at the context of what we, what we see because if they followed to what he said, if they open that door, he tells them, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. If they wanted to get back in a good position with God, all they had to do was accept the invitation that he was offering. That's what they had to do. So this morning, I want to think about this because we, we talked about this. A lot of times we look at this as unbelievers, but I think we miss out on some great lessons for us as Christians when we're in this type of position. And I think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from this verse. So that's what I want to look at 
are a few lessons that we can learn. First of all, Christians can fall from grace. There's a lot of people in the religious world today that will tell you that once you're you're saved, you're always saved. And this comes from the Calvinist doctrine, or as many call it, the tulip doctrine. And one tenet of that is the perseverance of saints. Once saved, always saved. In other words, you cannot lose your salvation. I think we see a good example of many people in this church who are in danger of just that, who are in danger of losing their salvation. You know, this message to the Laodiceans was that if they remained in that state that they were in, they were going to be in a lot of trouble because that, that persecution was coming. And I want you to think about a person in that position who's about to go through horrible persecution. If they're not invested in Christ, are they going to die for him? Because that was the stakes here. They, they could lose their life. Are they going to put their life on the line for something they truly don't care about, that they're indifferent about? Absolutely not. And what's going to happen when that persecution starts? What are they going to do? Well, they're going to turn and they're walk, going to walk away. They're not invested. Some of them, I'm sure, went and started worshiping Caesar. Some of them just left and never came back. And this church was in danger of pretty much that happening to everybody. And I will say, as David talked about in his lesson, there were people in these churches who were doing the right thing. There were people who were making the right decisions, but a good chunk of them and probably the majority of them were making the bad choices. And they were in a position that they needed to fix. And we as a church, we as individual Christians, can get to that position if we're not careful. And we've got to be vigilant against that. I think of Revelation 2 and verse 5. And when you look at Revelation 2 and verse 5, he's not talking to the church at Laodicea, but he is talking to another church in a similar situation, the church at Ephesus. And this church had issues. They had problems. He did commend them on some things, but they had issues that they needed to fix. And I want you to see what he tells them. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. Now listen to this. He says, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. It's harsh words. It's saying you're not going to make it. If you don't repent, you're not going to make it. And I think we can make that assumption that as he's telling the church at Laodicea that they need to repent, if they don't make that decision, same thing is probably going to happen to them. And we've got to be careful as a church also. If we get into that position where we're indifferent or we start to teach these false doctrines, or we, if we're not vigilant against those things, we can get to this position. And if we're not willing to repent, we could lose it all. And we've got to be careful. But the great thing about God and the great thing about Jesus Christ is he doesn't leave us without hope. And I think that's the next thing we need to understand is that Christ awaits our return. When we're in this position and we've walked away and we've turned our back on God and we're in a position where we could potentially lose our salvation, Christ is knocking on the door. Christ is waiting for us to come back. You know, see this church in Laodicea, again, they, were, they had a choice to make here. They were in a position to make a choice. Have you ever been at home? Somebody knocks on the door. You don't want to answer it. You don't know who it is. 
You have to make a choice, right? I hate answering the door. Unless I know who's coming over. It's awkward situations, right? But I have to make a choice to answer the door or not. And these men and women had to make a choice. They knew who was at the door. And they had to make a choice. I guess sometimes we know who's at the door and we still have to make a choice. But they knew who was at the door. They had to make a choice. They knew Jesus Christ. They were not living right. They were not in a good position because they weren't submitting to Jesus Christ. They weren't following His will. And they were in danger of this coming persecution. They could no longer be self-sufficient without Christ. They needed to be able to endure that persecution and they needed Christ to be able to do that. They needed to change their ways. You see, Christ was knocking at the door of the church. And what that means is He was knocking at the door of those men and women who made up that church. He was knocking at the door of those men and women who made the choice to be indifferent about Him, be indifferent about Christ. And the thing is, He wasn't going to barge in and force them to make that decision. He wasn't going to make them do that. That's not how He works. He gives us free will. I think of those old movies when you got this little kid out and he's doing something wrong and his mom catches him. What does she come and do? She comes and she grabs him by the ear and pulls him back. Christ is not going to walk in and grab us by the ear and force us to come back to him. It's just not what he's going to do. But he does give us that opportunity and it's a choice we have to make. As Christians who sometimes get off the path, turn our back on God, make bad decisions. And again, by no means am I saying that as Christians, just because we make a mistake here and there, we've lost our salvation. I, I don't want that to be the idea that you go home with today. But there comes, time, there comes times in our life sometimes where we make decisions where we intentionally separate ourselves from God and we turn our back on Him and we make a decision to walk away. And that's what we're talking about here. And when we get to that point, we have to make a decision to answer that door or not. Because he's knocking, he's waiting, he's ready for us to come back. And that leads us to the next point. That when we make the decision to answer the door, it's going to change everything. It's going to change everything. If those in the church at Laodicea made the decision to open the door to Christ, they were going to have, actually have to get up and open the door. What I'm saying is they couldn't just yell, hey, come on in. You know, sometimes I sit on my couch and somebody knocks on the door. If I know they're, they're coming, I say, hey, come on in. But if the door's locked, I have to actually get up and open the door. I have to take action to make that happen, to allow them in. And these people at this church at Laodicea couldn't just say, I'm sorry, God, and expect it to all be fixed. There were actions that they had to take. There were things that they had to do. You know, that's something we tell our girls all the time, Quinn and Livy. They, they do something wrong, and they put out that bottom lip, and they say, I'm sorry. And they expect everything to be fixed. And we tell them, that's a good first step. It's a great first step, but you have to make a change. And that's what repentance is all about. It's about making a change, changing who we are, focusing on what we need to focus on. And this church needed to make a change. Their indifference needed to change. Their purpose needed to be renewed. They needed to become dependent on Christ and not independent from, from Him. 
They need to live according to his word. Find that passion and allow Christ to change how they lived. Allow him to make that change. I'm going to go back here because this is a good point. I thought about leaving out, but I think of the psalmist. I think of David in Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, David has had all his issues that he's gone through. Bathsheba, it's, it's a horrible time in his life, and he's faced the consequences of that, and he's ready to t- come back to God. He's ready to, to get back to God and, and start living for him again. And I want you to listen, because he beautifully penned this. And he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What's he asking God to do? He's saying, I'm submitting to you, and I want you to make that change in me. He says, cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Not that he can just say, God, come in and and make this change, and God's going to miraculously change it. David had things to work on. But what he's saying is, I'm ready to refocus. I'm ready to submit, and I'm ready to allow you to make that change in my heart. And that makes me think of the book of Colossians. I, I did a series on the book of Colossians, and one that whole theme of this idea of being raised with Christ, that old man that we once, how we once lived, being put to death and being raised in a new creature. And, and chapter three talks a lot about that as he begins. And when you get to verse five, I think it's interesting. He says, and, and before we get to that, just a little background knowledge about the church at Colossae. They did a lot of things right. I don't think they were quite to the point of Laodicea at that time, at least. But they had issues. And what I think is interesting is if you listen to David's um, lesson, if you, these two churches, Laodicea and Colossae, were pretty close. And if you look in the book of Colossians, they're actually going to be reading this letter also. So some of these issues they had, and I don't know if they were to the point they were in the book of Revelation, I don't know. But they obviously at this time had some, some issues that they needed to fix or some things that could potentially be issues for them. But in verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. Now listen to that. In these, you once walked when you were living in them. The church of Colossae made some good decisions. They did some things right. And as we talked about in that study, we talked about the idea that the church at Colossae, when they were told to put to death the old man, just kind of injured him. They got rid of a good chunk of him, and they were doing a good job. But what we'll see is they still had issues. And he goes on in the next verse, and he says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Saying, you've injured that old man, now it's time to put him to death. Now it's time to fully submit to Jesus Christ and completely get rid of that old man. Don't just injure him. Don't let that linger because that's going to lead to you walking away. That's going to lead to you being pulled away. He's saying, get rid of it. Focus completely on God. And that's going to make all the difference. 
And that's exactly what he's saying to this church at Laodicea. It's time to refocus. It's time to find your purpose. It's time to renew your meaning. And that's Christ. And at times when we get to that point in our lives as a church, sometimes it's time for us to renew our focus. And I'm going to tell you, making those changes for, those, for Colossae and for Laodicea was not going to be easy. If you've ever had an issue that you deal with, a sin problem in your life, it's impossible, it seems impossible at times to, to get out of that. It's hard, it's difficult, and we've got to make effort to make it happen. We've got to deny ourselves certain things. And it was going to change everything. And again, it was their decision to make. They had to make the decision. And we have to do the same thing. When we find ourselves in that position, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But we have to make the decision, the tough decision sometimes, to say, you know what? Christ is more important. Go back to that understanding that we are no longer that old man, that those things have no room in our lives because the word of God has filled our lives. And we've got to refocus and we've got to get back to that point where we submit and say, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Help me to fix these issues. Help me to get back to where I need to be and submit to him and his word. And I think finally, we need to understand that answering that door, making that decision is going to bring salvation and blessings to our lives. It's going to bless us. Because again, this church at Laodicea was in a very dangerous position. And that persecution was coming, and it was going to be tough, and it was going to be difficult. And if they weren't ready, they weren't going to make it. And again, making that decision to make a change in your life can be very hard, and it was going to be hard for them. And depending on their, that, their choice that they made, they were either going to thrive during that persecution or they were going to fall. But Christ gives reassurance in the last two verses of this chapter. And he says, The one who conquers, I will grant with him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on, on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's saying, if you make this decision, if you make the choice to come back to me, to refocus on me, to get rid of that indifference in your life, to get rid of making this all about you, because that's what it was. They were indifferent about Christ because they were so dependent on themselves. You know, as David talked a little bit about this, I know I mentioned David, but these two, he, he talked about this, but he talked about this idea that Laodicea was in a, an area that was very heavily resourced. And they became self-sufficient. They were dependent on themselves. And he talked about this idea, and I read about this also, that apparently there was a, an earthquake there at some point, and it caused a lot of damage. And Laodicea was able to kind of take care of that themselves. And the Roman government tried to come in and say, hey, we want to help you. And they said, no, we're going to do it ourselves. They became self-sufficient. 
And self-sufficiency is, is a good thing in many ways. I mean, when my girls grow up, I want them to be self-sufficient so they're not going to live in my basement. I don't have a basement. I'll have to find one. I don't want them to live there. All, I want them to go out and be able to live on their own and do their own thing. But the problem is, and the problem for the church at Laodicea is they let that self-sufficiency drip over into their spiritual life. And they got to a point where they thought, I'm doing okay. We're okay as a church. We don't really need to improve. We don't, we don't need to focus on the word of God. They became indifferent to Jesus Christ. And we're in a horrible position. But yet if they made that decision, Jesus Christ would accept them back. And that's beautiful. One thing that, I'm going to say it again, one thing David talked about was this idea of these churches. You, when you look at those seven churches, you had churches that were doing pretty well, but you also had churches that needed a lot of help. And the point he made was the idea that these churches were never too far gone. They had the decision to make. There would have been a point where it was too far, but at this point, they were not too far gone to bring Christ back into their lives, to allow him back into their heart, to allow him to be their guide. And for us today, when we get in those positions, sometimes it seems like we have no hope. I've done things that he'll never forgive me for. Even though I've been covered by the blood of God, he's never gonna forgive me for that. He's knocking at the door. I'll use the sound effect. He's knocking. He's waiting for you to say, create in me a clean heart once again. Bring me back to where I need to be. But we have to make the choice. And if you're here this morning and you're in that position, make the choice. Come back. He's knocking. Answer the door. Put your focus back where it needs to be. I also know this morning we, we talked specifically about this verse not being written to those who were outside of the church, who had not ex obeyed the gospel. But I will say over and over in the word of God, we see that. Christ wants you to be a part of his kingdom. And we can help you with that this morning also. If you need help from the church, come to the front as we stand and sing.